Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as Black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. I'm your host, Ashley, and we have a special guest today. I'm really excited because it is currently grad season, so all over Instagram, we see all the Black excellence, all these Black, beautiful Black grads graduating with degrees. It's a great time, Um, and I actually have a grad here that is basically on the road, crossing kind of the path into becoming a therapist. So, Today we have Abigail Thomas. She goes by Abby. So what's up, Abby? Hey, what's up? <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I connected with Abby through Instagram. Um, people have been showing her a lot of love. Um, she's graduating. So pretty much today we are going to talk to Abby about like, what does it take to become a therapist? As y'all may or may not know, I am not a mental health professional. I am just a Black girl with anxiety. So what I love about this podcast is that we get to talk to mental health professionals, but we've never actually had somebody that is kind of crossing over from being a student into the world of being a mental health professional, being a therapist. So we basically, we're going to chop it up with Abby today, find out where she went to school, why she chose to be a therapist, and how that journey has been going for her. Um. So Abby, let's, where are you from? Let's tell the people where you're from. I'm from Broward County, Florida. Um, I was born and raised in North Lauderdale. So not yeah, shout far. out to let's South Florida. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to South Florida. Um, for those of you that don't know, I used to live in Miami for a brief period of time. I lived there for a few years. So South Florida, especially Fort Lauderdale, Miami holds a special place in my heart. I love it down there. Um, so Abigail, tell me about like where I know you're graduating, where, where are you studying or where were you studying? So I did my backstory, like my bachelor's is from Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, Florida. And then I've gotten my master's at Nova Southeastern University here in Davie. Nice. Awesome. So just a little bit about Abby before we get into more questions. Um, so she, like she said, she is graduating from Nova uh, in South Florida, and you're currently an RBT, right? And you work with kids that are on the spectrum. Um, I know when we first spoke, you were considered a student therapist. I don't know if you still hold the student therapist title now. Um, that changed. I'm still a student therapist, just for the simple fact that my degree is conferred in August. So then I would be, I would hold like the master's in family therapy. And then from there, the plan is to become a registered intern with the state of Florida. And then after collecting my hours and stuff, I will be taking my licensure exam and hopefully then I'll be a licensed mental, nope, licensed marriage and family therapist. There you go. I got it. (laughs) I love it. That's a long journey. So Um, As of right now, you've completed 500 hours of client contact hours. um, And then I know that you mentioned that you're hoping at some point to have your own practice. So yeah, yeah, that's a major plan. Yes, I definitely do want to have my own private practice at some point. I don't know whether I want to do it with like a group of therapists, Um, me and a few students well, a few of my colleagues at school have spoken on have spoken on it, but I'm not. Nothing is set in stone yet because it's so far away, kind of. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome, though. It's good that you have like a little network. It's good that you have that you're thinking ahead. So let's kind of roll it back. Uh, you know, before you, you know, enrolled in school, maybe even before your bachelor's. Like, what made you want to become a therapist? So I've been telling everyone in my family that I'm going to be a therapist since I was like 12. And then at that age, I think like family therapy wasn't really like a thing. 
like they didn't label it like that. So I thought like psychology was the only way to go to like sit with people and talk and stuff. So I pretty much had that in my head since like my own issues within my family system. Like, dang, I really want to be someone that other people or other kids like me can talk to in the future. And that's kind of what brought me here. Wow. And is that is that because maybe at that point you kind of felt like you you didn't have somebody to talk to? Is that something that you needed in that moment or that you actually got in that moment? Yeah. When I was 12, my um, parents split. Um, it, the divorce was weird. <laughs> Everything about it was weird. Like it kind of was like my life was together and then one day it just wasn't. So mm. I really wanted to seek therapy and both sides of my family being Caribbean, they were obviously like, uh, we don't really want you to be on medication. We don't really want you to go talk to no one. Um, within like the black community or within like the Caribbean community even, um, it's hard to seek help in that way. So they told me no. So I didn't get to go, but I wanted to go. And I had friends that were having difficulties within their own family systems too. And they weren't able to go either. So it was just like all of our friends wanted to go see a therapist and none of us were allowed to. So I think that's why I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. So what the odds. you said your family is Caribbean. So like, tell us a little bit more about your family, where they're from. Shout them out. <laughs> so my mom is Jamaican. Um, she hey. comes from Clarendon. Yeah. And then my dad is from Haiti. Um, both my families are very different, but very similar in a sense. Like that Caribbean, like West Indian mindset is very like, like yeah. There's a lot so of similarities. Like, yeah, like a lot. They kind of walk the same walk in a sense, you know. Like they come over here for betterment of their children. So I think for them, like mental health is like frowned upon like it's not really a thing it's like taboo it's not something that either families really like speak on um I feel like I've challenged that within the years for sure but um yeah that's good because I'm Jamaican too and I come from like I'm first generation so I feel you completely when like West Indian culture I feel like no matter what island you're from or your people are from there's that similar, especially if they've migrated here, there's that similar kind of like, we don't have time for mental health. We don't have time to worry about your brain. Like, it's fine. Move forward. Keep going. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like the, I feel like that's, that sounds like what you've been going, what you went through when you were younger. Just kind yeah. of like push forward. Everything will be fine. You don't need to talk to anybody. Don't tell anybody our business. Yeah. heavy on the don't tell anyone our business like that was like that's something that's still like very predominant in our family yeah I think that's something that stuck with me for a long time like even just talking to my friends like there was still an air of like this is your business you don't need to go telling anybody and at the time it's kind of like well I need to talk to somebody about what I'm going through but I don't know I don't know if it's like an air of mistrust or just like you keep your business, you know, within the family, yeah, in the the household. Um, So with that being said, is is anybody else in your family a therapist? No. (laughs) Okay, so you're the first first. Yeah. um, That's awesome. I was like one of the first ones to actually go to therapy too, like within our like whole family system. So is that, how, how does that feel? Is that like a little, is it scary? Is it like exciting that you're the first? Oh, it's exciting. I always wanted, I definitely, like even during my graduation party, everyone's speeches was like, Abigail was a therapist before Abigail was a therapist. Like, oh, I love that. That's literally what everyone kept saying. And like how much of a, like a push I give people to like work through things kind of yeah. thing. So I'm definitely that person within my friend groups, within my relationships, within my family, like through and through, like, just go work on it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So this, this has been a calling for you for forever, basically. Yeah. Wow. Well, I want to give my kudos to you. I want to give like 
give you your flowers now, the fact that you've gone through this journey um, and that you've been really set on it. I feel like there's probably lots of roller coaster moments and up and down moments that people will never know about <laughs> this journey for you. So, you know, I want to take this moment to give you your flowers and like a little round of applause. I need a round of applause button. Like, yeah, yay. that'd be lit. <laughs> I'll help you. Don't worry. <laughs> So do you, throughout this process, have you had like a mentor or somebody that, you know, that maybe has been through this before that you've kind of leaned on during the, during this process? Um, during this process, I feel like I have two good friends from school, but they're obviously going through the process with me. And then outside of like them, I have like a professor who really like, took her time and like spoke life into me in a sense and she was like our first professor to tell us to do therapy from like our soul so like she was really like influential in that sense shout out to dr gomes (laughs) shout out to dr gomes so tell me a little bit more about therapy from your soul what does that mean she just really challenged us to like sit with things like before even like opening your mouth to say something like sit with it like And then she also introduced like the both and perspective where it's like multiple realities can exist at once. And that was something that I even went and got tatted on me just because like she touched me in that sense. Like she really took her time out. Like we've got taught by professors who wrote books and who are using, these are the books that we're learning from, but none of them hit like she did, if that makes sense. Mm. Like she just really like, she teaches from her soul. <laughs> like, yeah. not it's only does different. she do therapy from her soul, but she teaches from her soul too. So it was really just powerful. And she was a woman of color, like a black woman. Like, it was important. It That's was important to see our representation. It was important to hear our representation. It was just really important. Like, I still call her to this day. Like, Dr. Gomes. <laughs> oh, shout out to Dr. Gomes. I think. That is one thing I always wonder about is um, as people are going through this process of becoming a mental health professional, whether it be psychologist, psychiatrist, therapist, whatever it may be, I always wonder about what representation looks like in that um, in that aspect. And I know that you had posted, I think you posted on Twitter that there's only like, I think, three percent of therapists are black women, four percent of therapists are black women. So with that stat alone like was this your only black professor that you had or black female professor that you had in school or did you did you encounter anybody else of color so it's four percent of black therapists in the u.s okay um it's not gender specified but um she was one of my professors i also had a supervisor in internal internal practicum who was black as well and that was pretty much it I had two black professors my entire time at Nova wow I think that just speaks to the power of you going through the process and kind of becoming part of that you know bumping up that four percent you know even if it's like 0.01 whatever you bumping that up everybody counts and I think everybody going through that process process counts um uh, so as far as let's kind of talk about the I don't know the logistics or just how when you decide to become a therapist is there a specific degree that you have to get like as far as a bachelor's degree or does Ooh. it depend on the program that probably depends on the program huh I actually don't know okay. because I already had like I went and got my bachelor's in psychology. So I don't oh. know if you have to do like social work or psychology or any of those specific ones. I don't I don't think so though, because I have people in my program now that are lawyers. Oh okay. Already. So I think like you just have to have a bachelor's. Okay. I think. But don't okay. quote me on that. <laughs> okay. Don't quote her. Look it up. Every university is different. So you've got a bachelor's of psychology in Talk, talk me through a little bit about, um, you know, like what made you choose psychology, even though you kind of already knew you were going to eventually be in psychology. Did you look at any other 
bachelor's when you were in college? No. So immediately, like leaving eighth grade kind of thing, like I knew like I was going to go do psych because I didn't know about marriage and family therapy as of yet at that age. But like, I knew that I wanted to be like a talk therapist. Like in my head, I knew I wanted to be like, you know, in the movies when you see the person sitting across from the other person, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, so we're going to go for psychology because that's the study of the mind and like the brain and stuff. So we'll go do that. And then the way that it shifted when I left undergrad, this is during COVID, um, I went to a few orientations at like some different schools down here, um, like Lynn University, Gary, and Nova. Mm -hmm. And I was debating like, do I want to be a licensed mental health counselor or do I want to be a marriage and family therapist? Like, which one do I want to go with? And I went to the marriage and family therapy orientation at Nova and Arlene Gordon, Dr. Arlene Gordon, was speaking and she was just trying to explain, like, comparing the two, which no, none of the, none of the other orientations did that, like, comparison between licensed mental health counseling and licensed marriage and family therapy. And the way she broke it down and, like, explained us being, like, systemic therapists, that really connected with me. And I was like, okay, like, I like this because you don't think that I'm just going to see an individual or you don't think that I'm just going to see families. It's more systemic. Like, I'm looking at all your relationships, even the relationship you have within yourself. Like, so I was like, okay, this feels right. And I knew in that moment, I was like, okay. So I applied when I got home and then did the whole interview process and it just felt so natural like even being in like the zoom interview with dr burnett i was like laughing with him we were making jokes and he was just like yo you're like he was like giving me words of affirmation already so i was just like wow like i'm on my path like I'm yes here. yes i love that and- <laughs> i love that so tell me about that that process so you found the school that you wanted Um, you went and basically heard this talk that really resonated with you. Mm -hmm. Um, After that, the interview process, what does that look like for somebody that, you know, maybe they're at that same step and they're about to start interviews? Like, is that after you've graduated from your, from your undergrad? Is that after, or is it, you know, at the end of that process? Oh my gosh, that was during COVID, like, like, peak quarantine so I'm like I don't know if I fully remember yeah (laughs) I don't know if I fully remember like because I was just like whoa like am I really about to do this during this like we don't even know what's next like yeah that was such a confusing time because I was like I don't know like I don't think I had I think I was in my last semester of undergrad when I applied okay Nova because I went straight through like I haven't taken any breaks from school until like Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've been in school since kindergarten. Wow. <laughs> well, oh <pre-K>. <laughs> that is straight through. <laughs> like, like, well, you better enjoy this summer or however much time you get to enjoy. <laughs> you better turn up this summer before. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal. That's the goal. But, um. So did you do one interview or did you do two interviews? I think it was two interviews okay and then that's just with I remember going to two different things on zoom but I don't know I think one was an interview and the other one was like the orientation before school started so I think it was one interview but then also before that like with the application it was like two recommendation letters my transcripts like the regular spiel Mm -hmm. yeah so you turn in your recommendation letters you sent over your transcripts um you have the interview and then so that moment like did you find out via email does somebody call you and tell you that you've gotten in it was an email and I remember when I got the email too because we're in quarantine like so you're just just checking your emails all day (laughs) we're just home we're working from home we're doing everything from home well actually I wasn't working from home because I'm considered an essential worker as an RBT so I was going to essential workers (laughs) (laughs) thank you but I remember, like, I just remember waking up and, like, seeing it. I screenshotted it immediately and sent it in the family group chat. Like, I did it. I got into my master's program. Like, I remember that excitement. 
Wow. Oh my gosh. What that a journey, right? Yeah. Journey. So this is middle of COVID that you decide to make this move into the next step of your career. You decide to get your master's and there is, man, 2020 was literally a blur. And I feel like most of 2021 was, but how was that for you finishing up your bachelor's presumably on zoom, then going through this process on zoom and then going into your graduate program while there's all this other stuff happening in the world like how how were you managing your mental health at that point oh my gosh um so prior to quarantine I started seeing a therapist at FAU through like the school because you know when you're in college you get x amount of like free sessions or whatever while you're there um so I started doing therapy then and I think I continued throughout and then I had another therapist outside of school that I found uh shout out to Tanya and um it was I was going to therapy like I was even if it wasn't in person we were on the phone or I was doing something like I I have always been in therapy for the most part like once I was hitting like my junior year of undergrad I was like yeah no I can't keep moving like this and I want to be someone who helps someone Mm. so there was that point where you realized you can't just be the helper like you have to have help as well yourself yeah wow is that something you feel like other like your colleagues went through similar you know transition not transitions but Similar processes, I guess? Yeah. I know a lot of my colleagues at school now are definitely seeing therapists. Like, they might not have been at the beginning of the program, but I know that now they are. Like, you know, like, there's this, like, I don't know, something just kind of, like, it's a lot of internal work, the stuff that we do in school. Mm -hmm. So something kind of, like, just like, okay, maybe I should go process this more. Even if it's not, like, with a professional, you're doing it with like a professor or a supervisor or a colleague. Like, it we're always processing something. Yeah, I guess that's. I'm interested in learning more about the in, I guess the deeper thinking part because I think maybe my assumption was that through this program it would just be a lot of like X's and X's and O's maybe a lot of like learn these definitions and have like a really solid understanding of the DSM five. And so can you tell me a little bit more about the, I don't want to say abstract, but that other side of it, that's really asking you to think in a, in a deeper, to think in a more abstract way a little bit. Yeah. So with me, I thought it was going to be X's and O's too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think our first semester was really X's and O's. It was really like, these are the theories. This is what you're learning. These are the models. These are who made the models. This is how you follow the model. Like our first semester was like that. By like our second or third semester, I think that's when we really started to work. And that's kind of when I met Dr. Gomes. So like Mm -hmm. a lot of her classes were like doing experiential projects which mm-hmm. kind of like okay what is that for the people like me that are like experiential projects okay so it's know. like <laughs> projects based on like your experiences or biases or like triggers and things like that just so that when you're in the room with someone else and they come with something similar like oh similar to something you've experienced it doesn't like throw you off or put you in a different place oh really yeah so So, like (laughs) so did so do you want to share and you don't have to but do you want to share like maybe an experiential project that you had to kind of go through that made you either open up your eyes or made you a little bit uncomfortable yeah um so for my okay I'm trying to think okay for I did one about cheating Mm -hmm. and um like I said before, I had a lot of issues with my family system, um, with like the divorce and stuff with my parents. And cheating was something that was very like, 
uh, I hate all cheaters kind of thing in my mind. And Dr. Gomes sat with me and was like, so what are you going to do when a husband comes in and he's cheating? Like, what are you going to say? How are you going to feel? What are you going to feel on the inside? What are your reactions to that? And I was like, ooh, okay. So maybe this is what I should do for my project. But I was like, "Mm, I don't know if I really want to do this. Like, I'm not ready. Like, this is something I've dealt with for maybe like 12 years now. And I haven't let go of it. So she was like, yeah, I think think that'd be interesting. I think you should look into it. Like, do whatever you feel comfortable with doing, but also remember to challenge yourself kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I did it. And I actually interviewed my dad and we talked about like what cheating meant to him, like what, like just basically what the process meant to him and who he felt like from his standpoint, who he felt like he probably hurt the most in a sense. And it was really healing. Like having that conversation with my father was probably like way overdue and I literally, when I presented it to the class, I went through it so quickly and I didn't realize that I only put pictures of like my family while they were together. Like I didn't have any pictures of like after the divorce type thing, except for like the pictures with me and my brother, because obviously he's new. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. he's only been here for three years. Yeah. But other than that, I didn't put any pictures of like my parents in their older age now or like us separated like I only had pictures of all of us like together and I was like wow I I realized that while I was I didn't realize that until the moment I was presenting it oh my gosh so then I was like wow that's something you've held on to is that that unit that you had that you used to have and which is so strange because like in my own individual therapy we've spoken about the fact that I don't have a lot of memories from then so it's not like I'm holding on to it. It's just like I just didn't. I didn't want to put them up there and separate it. I just, I couldn't. Yeah. So I was talking with the class. I was going through it. I had also sent out a survey to like a whole bunch of people from Facebook to et cetera to just like gather like what cheating means to people, what they identify cheating as, and just like a whole bunch of other stuff. And um. When I got to the end, Dr. Gomes looked at me and she asked me a question. I literally can't remember the question, but I burst into tears in front of all my classmates. Oh my gosh. And I was just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're doing this. So wow. I answered that. I think she asked, what would you want to tell a therapist if they were sitting with you and your family now? Ooh. Wow. And I had answered like, I was basically like, don't judge a book by its cover. Like, yes, my dad cheated. Yes, they are separated. But there were so many, like, deeper wounds than that, that it looked surface level and very, like, from the ages 12 to up till that moment, 24, I never thought of my dad's cheating as anything but him cheating. Like, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So to have that conversation with him as an adult, it really expanded like the way I view cheating, the way I view, not saying it's right or wrong, but <laughs> just yeah. like it expanded like my experience with it. So how, I know you said that was very healing. So was that like at the end of that day, was that an immediate like, oh, it felt like the, I don't want to say baggage, but it did it feel like a weight? came off of you or was that like did it take days after for it to kind of settle that you would just kind of like open this wound but then kind of like put some neosporin on top of the wound and like we're we're finally getting to that point where you know I'm such a daddy's girl immediately when I left like there was years where I wasn't a daddy's girl obviously because like I was hurting but I was such a daddy's girl that when I left the class I called it this is like nine o'clock at night. I'm like, I did it. <laughs> and he's like, I'm proud of you. Like, thank wow. you for doing that. Like kind of thing. And he's like, I'm sorry. Like he just wow. kept like, my dad is so apologetic. And it's like, it took that. And then like my individual therapy hmm. for it to become a, like, aha, 
we finally did it kind of yeah thing. I think that's that's beautiful thank you for sharing that because I I think there's a lot of people particularly in the West Indian community we already know <laughs> especially <laughs> when it comes to Jamaicans we already know um but I think particularly within our community those experiences um I think a lot of us come from or have those experiences that have occurred in our family, um, whether it be cheating, whether it be children born out of wedlock, children, you know, that maybe somebody had with, you know, somebody that was already married. And I know I've, there was a while back where I was talking to a friend of mine that's black American. And she was, I think, dating a Jamaican guy at, the, at that time. And there were similarly, similar family dynamics in his family. And she just could not wrap her head around how certain things happened within our community and how I think sometimes we just kind of push forward. And I've explained to people, like, even if people are born from different mothers, even if that man is still married to them, or even if they've divorced and they've gone their separate ways, everybody's still family. Everybody still like communicates for the most part. And I think that's a little different than what happens for black Americans. So it was really interesting hearing her just be like, I would never put up with this. My kids would never talk to their kids. Like that would never happen. And I think for us, everything that caused the rift gets pushed under the rug, but it's like, well, everybody's here. Everybody's family now. Like we're just going to push forward. Don't worry about what happened back then. And you know, we're just going to pretend like everything's fine. Right. So I think that it's, it was really brave of you to, to dig into what happened and you know how the the before of the situation because all we kind of see especially as kids when the blow up happens or you know when the separation happens is is that like it's a lot of times we don't know yeah what has happened to cause that um I'm a child of like my mom has been divorced twice so like my stepdad and my mom broke up when I think I was five or four and I remember being like so happy because my biological father is not, has not been in my life. And so I remember being so excited, like that's still my guy to this day. That's still my dad. But um, I remember like actually getting to live together and like now we get to be in this home and now mm-hmm. like I have a little brother now and we get to have this like core family that I see all my friends having and like I read it's like a mom a dad kids all together in one house and that didn't Mm -hmm. last very long but you just kind of I feel like you just go on after and because I was so young I think there was a lot of times I just kept living my life and I have a good relationship with both of them thank god but I think even now it's a struggle to get answers from either of them like what happened what made you guys get together and what made you guys break up? And aside from things that are obvious, right. Aside from like cheating, what, what else? Um, so it's brave of you to, to open that up, that, that yeah. up, open that conversation up. And it's brave of your dad too, I think, to be open to that conversation and to yeah, kind of my dad, work it. He, he's always been the more like, emotionally open one versus my mom (laughs) yeah but I don't know I think he's also always been more open to like the possibility of going to therapy neither of my parents have been yet Mm. let's put the yet there because I'm pushing for it but (laughs) one of these days one of these days like I'm not enough So how did your how did your mom feel after this whole situation happens? You do this experiential pro- project on, you know, basically the major a major point in your life that for some people was traumatic. So it the it seemed like the focus was really on your dad because up until that point like that was kind of the catalyst for the whole situation in your mind. Yeah. So how did that conversation with your mom go? Did she like, so I actually sent her the survey. So she's one of the people who answered like the survey questions and they were descriptive, but she couldn't remember what she wrote. So I don't know which answers were raised, but I think we talked about, we processed it after two and she was just like, it was kind of like a 
yes and no kind of thing. Like she agreed with like certain things that he said and then at other parts, you know, like the hurt was still like talking in a sense. Mm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe that better. Like you could tell there's certain things that they both still have not healed from. Yeah. So like with their responses, like it's not a response, it's a reaction. Yeah. More so than a response. Do you do you now that you are you know, you've gone through all these years of schooling. Obviously, you're not a kid anymore. You are like a beautiful young woman. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm i curious to get, your, to get your thoughts on like how you view your parents now. Because I know for me, I feel like when I hit my mid-20s, that dynamic, it starts to change between you and your parents because you're no longer a child. Like you're not functional. Mm-hmm. Even though you're their child, in the world, the world is you're moving through the world as an adult, you've got responsibilities, all of that good stuff. So did that change the way you viewed your parents at all? So let me like go backwards a little first. Like childhood me has always been, my parents both have diffused boundaries with me. Like Mm. my mom tells me like, well, back then would tell me like literally anything I wanted to know. Like, I was treated like an adult for a very long time. And then my dad is the kind of, like, the opposite in a sense, where, like, certain things, it's very diffused. I'll know everything. And certain things is, like, big secret. Like, you don't need to know. Um, and now I think they're both, like, just pretty aware that they could just, like, speak. And um, I realized that, not even just my parents, but all these adults walking around are just children. Like big, big old children, (laughs) big children, big children just walking around with all these past things on your back. Like like a school bag. Like it's like a backpack. You're just walking around with a backpack. Yes. Like I realize that like we're all just children because we're all still learning. Yeah. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. Some people are more open to learning though yes some people have bigger bags than others some people are have like you know when you go to the airport but you're going on a long flight and you're staying for three weeks and you got two bags (laughs) you got your backpack and then you got the little purse on top of (laughs) them and sometimes that's what people are carrying around for decades and yeah you know that is something I think as the more I do the podcast and the more people I speak to but even just like getting older I realize so many people are carrying a lot and they just don't know how to like unpack all this stuff. Exactly. So and I literally just posted on my story yesterday where it was like, you can't see people's mental health. So like, just ooh. be kind, like yeah. just be kind. I love that. You can't see people's mental health. That's deep. I might have to put that on a post. Okay. Um, We have a section of the, podcast the segment called mind games so we're about to transition real quick into mind games i don't know if you've heard of mind games but basically what we're about to do is we are going to ask listeners a question not a question i'm basically going to read a a definition of a mental health disorder and you're probably going to know it so don't give it away (laughs) but if you're listening you can guess um I'm going to read through the definition. You're going to take a guess. If you're listening on Spotify, there should be a little poll that pops up and you can throw in your answer there. If you answer correctly, I will pin it. Hopefully it works and you can see it on your end. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. Like I said, Abby, don't go, don't go telling everybody what it is. <laughs> I won't say right. anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So for today's mind games, here we go. This disorder is characterized by unexpected and repeated episodes of intense fear accompanied by physical symptoms that may include chest pain, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, dizziness, or abdominal distress. These episodes occur out of the blue and they're not in conjunction with any known fear or stressor. An estimated 2.7% of U.S. adults have had this disorder in the past year. Um, This disorder often coexists with mood disorders and mood symptoms potentially follow the onset of the of panic attacks. Um, another piece with this one, another hint, is that women are twice as likely to be affected as men. 
So I will give you guys a couple more seconds to make your guess. If you're on Spotify, throw it in. I will also just take this moment to say, make sure you follow Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 on Bullhorn. Go to bullhorn.fm and search Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. We do live episodes on there. With the live episodes, you can not only chat, you can ask questions, you can even call in, you can speak directly with our guests, you can interact with us. It's a lot of fun. We've had a few episodes like that up until this point, and it's been a lot of fun. So there will definitely be more live episodes coming out. So make sure you go to Bullhorn, download the app. Um, The link will be in the description as well. So go ahead and click that. So hopefully by now you have your guests. And the answer for Mind Games is panic disorder. So panic disorder is um, unexpected and repeated episodes of intense fear accompanied by physical symptoms, chest pain, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, dizziness, or abdominal stress. Um, One other thing about panic attacks is they, um, some people who have panic attacks also have what's called agoraphobia. I'm blanking on what agoraphobia is because it's supposed to be on on my list, but it's not. (laughs) I don't want to say the wrong thing. Hold on. (laughs) I got the link here. It's okay. So agoraphobia. um, Agoraphobia is uh, where people avoid places where they feel immediate escape might be difficult, such as shopping malls, public transportation, and open places like parking lots or enclosed places like movie theaters. It's common with people that also have panic attacks or panic disorders. So this was really interesting to me just because I I know what a panic attack is. I've had two panic attacks in my entire life, like really intense panic attacks. Um, I didn't know what they were in that moment. And I went to Dr. Google and like put in all my symptoms and let it spit out <laughs> what I had. But um, in saying that, um, I used to work with somebody that had panic disorder and it was just really intense and just came out of nowhere. So I don't know if anybody listening has panic disorder or maybe knows somebody with it, but it is definitely interesting. Abigail, do you... Like, what's been your experience with people that have panic disorder? Or um, I don't know that I have experience with anyone okay. having panic disorders, but I've had, like, two panic attacks. Really? Um, yeah, and I literally, like, I think I called my therapist at one. Wow. And I was just like, I can't breathe. <laughs> like, I was literally like... I had to pull over, like, because I was going to start driving, and I was like, nope, can't do it. Like, I need to just sit here. Yeah. So, so yeah. Oh, man. Did you, so you had, like, the shortness of breath. Did you, in that moment, like, did you know, okay, this is a panic attack, I know what this is, or did you just, like, freak out? I was just freaking out. Yeah. And thankfully, she did answer, because she kind of, like, talked me through, like, breathing, and, like, the different techniques to like cope like what triggered me we talked about that and then we processed everything it was not great times yeah panic attacks are scary I had one and I have I have asthma so my first thought is like I can't breathe my hands are shaking and Mm -hmm. I was like where's my asthma pump so I'm thinking okay this is just a random asthma like I breathed in some dust I didn't realize it And I remember taking the pump and I've had asthma all my life. So I know like it's immediate, like that relief is immediate and your airways start opening up immediately. And I was just like, this is not working. And so now I'm freaking out even more because I'm like, what's going on? It's not asthma. What is it? Like, why am I freaking out? And I just remember feeling like, I don't know. I felt like time slowed down and I was just like freaking out. And I think I was in... Like we were moving at the time and it was just a really stressful move overseas that like the plane was leaving in four hours and we were still moving out of our, our apartment that morning. Like it was terrible. Um, I remember having to like go outside and then my husband started to freak out because he's like, what's going on? Like, 
I can't like, what can I do to help? So now he's like, I can't, what am I supposed to do? I don't know how to help you. I'm freaking out. Cause I'm like, I don't know what's going on. It was just terrible. It was not great. Yeah. Um, so if you have panic disorder, hang in there, like get some help because I don't know how people are dealing with that on their own. Like that's oof, a lot. Um, so Abby, you are graduated. You have graduated um you I know we talked a little bit before about what you what you're doing as far as RBT and kind of the the population that you worked with and the population that you kind of want to work with in the future so are you still doing are you still working as an RBT as you make this transition um not well not today no (laughs) I I recently left um, the company that I was in RBT at. Um, okay. I'm debating whether or not I want to go do RBT until like August because I have some offers that don't start until August for um, family therapy. So I'm just in between like trying to figure out what I want to do. Like, do I want a space filler or do I want to just like sit back and relax a little? Like, yeah, I feel I'm like you deserve to relax. Myself. I'm not trying to tell you not to take the offer, but you've been you've been working for a long time. <laughs> you deserve a little, <laughs> you know, a little time off. But um once you get into therapy, is there a specific like specialty that you want to be in, um or like a specific demographic that you want to work with, whether it be like women, children, black women, Caribbean families or families in general like what's kind of your go-to oh my goodness I feel like I have so many like ideas I feel like because I really do want to work with teens and I did my externship with teens um at an alternative center Mm -hmm. um but I also really want to do like Caribbean families I feel like that's a like no-brainer like hey grew up in one kind of thing but um I also, with the RBT experience, I've worked with people who are diagnosed with multiple things. So, like, ADHD, autism, um, PTSD. I had a child who had PTSD and autism. Like, I've dealt with, like, a lot of different populations in the sense of, like, diagnosis. Um, So, I think, like, doing, like, work with families who have someone with a disorder or with a diagnosis would be interesting too. Cause I've done, I've led like parent trainings with families and they kind of start like wanting to opening up with me, but as an RBT, like I can't go there with them. So right. it's like my heart wants to do it, but my title won't allow me in that moment. So I kind of would like to like double back and maybe like now that I'm a therapist, Hey, families who need it come talk to me because having a kid on the spectrum or having a child with a disorder or even just like a sibling or a parent it's difficult yeah I feel like nobody really prepared nobody can really prepare you for that mm-hmm. um and then I could be wrong but I know some people may find out like during their pregnancy or may some people find out maybe years after the child, you know, after mm-hmm. the child has been born and then they receive their diagnosis. I know sometimes that diagnosis is, um, you know, it can occur at various times. So yeah, yeah I, I think that would be amazing if you, you know, tapped into that. And I think particularly like black families that maybe have kids um, or family members that have autism or that are on the spectrum. I know that in and of itself um is something that the black community doesn't really I don't want to say that we don't talk about because I feel like we're getting better but I feel like historically it's just not something like that person that has that diagnosis is is there they're always around but nobody's really addressing yeah they have like it's nobody says it it's like a secret sometimes or like taboo like yeah Cause I know in like Caribbean households, it's hard to like be like, yeah, my child has autism. Like, you'll find someone else in a different race will like 
kind of like not broadcast it but they'll like let you know like nicely yeah whereas like within like the black community it's kind of more like like we're not gonna you just kind of tell like you you should know so i'm not gonna tell you kind of thing yes 100 percent, 100 percent. so i feel like navigating that conversation i feel like that's that could be a whole nother episode to be honest um i'm just saying but <laughs> yeah that 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 is an interesting dynamic but so let's go back to um during our phone call before you mentioned the population that you work with now is majority minority so I wanted to ask you if you could kind of explain that and maybe like why that's important to you I think we were talking about my externship site right I think so I think so okay so I was working at Pine Ridge Alternative Center that's in Plantation or Fort Lauderdale, one of them. But basically, it's like within the school system, it's where the children get sent when they're suspended from their homeschools. And a good majority of the children that I saw there were either Black or Hispanic or like from a different like island. Mm-hmm. Um of course, there were Caucasian children sometimes, but a good majority. And then our director kind of pointed out the school to jail pipeline thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was very disheartening to like, because like, it'd be like the smallest things like, oh, I drew on the bathroom with a washable marker and they sent you here for six days. It's like, okay. Yeah. And now that's on their record. Yeah. Oh, we won't get we won't get into that because, again, that's a whole nother episode as well is the school to prison pipeline, particularly how it affects black kids and like children of color um, and how it affects families. So whew, that had to be that had to be hard, though, doing your externship there. Um, yeah, but a lot of them haven't had therapy before, so it was kind of interesting to like hear them at the end and be like wow like I've never talked to anyone like this or never said any of these stuff out loud so it was it felt like I was doing good work but there was things that I didn't agree with Mm, yeah definitely areas of improvement Mm -hmm. I feel you okay um so going back to school uh, we know who your favorite professor is shout out to Dr. Gomes Yes. Um, I'm. I, I was gonna ask what's your favorite class, but I'm assuming it's one of one of her classes. Wow. Yeah. Um, I have a few favorite classes that I've taken. There was also a human sexuality and gender course that we had to take, and that was with uh, Dr. Mejia. That was that was really interesting. It really opened up my eyes to like, because I feel like also as a Caribbean woman, I have like things that I was predisposed to, like, not necessarily transphobia, but, like, kind of. Like, there's transphobic thoughts there. There's homophobic thoughts that are instilled in West Indian culture. So it's, like, that class really challenged some of the things that I didn't even realize I was sitting with. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily that it's my own thought, but someone brought it to me from that culture. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. and so that really expanded, like, because I did my, we did a, a another, like, experiential project, and mine was on polygamy versus monogamy. Oh, okay. And even that experience, like, I interviewed a whole bunch of polygamists. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, you got it right. Polygamy. Yeah, couples. And mm-hmm. they really, like, gave me a different viewpoint. Like, I was like, wow, like. I didn't see it like this. Like, there was just so many, like, things that I learned throughout that. And it was just, like, mind, like, my third eye opened kind of thing. Yeah. Did you expect to have that class or, like, that experience when you, like, signed up for this particular program? Did you know that you were going to be doing a human sexuality class and kind of? 
I knew I was gonna have the class. I just don't think that I was aware of the type of work that I would have been doing because it was a lot of just like introspection, like introspection, introspection, mm -hmm. introspection. Like it was literally just like a lot of looking within. Cause like it's like I knew, like I thought I was gonna read definitions, like okay, like gender fluidity. But then no, we had like people come in that were gender fluid and speak to us and it was just like wow, like it was a lot of things that we learned that I didn't know that we were gonna learn, kind of thing. Mm. It sounds like you did a lot of unlearning too. So unlearning of maybe like unconscious bias or maybe like subconscious bias, like you said, whether they be cultural bias. Um, a thousand percent. Yeah. So that's super interesting. I know I just broke. Fiddling. Fiddling. It's the anxiety fiddling. I'm not even going to edit this out. I just broke my necklace, y'all, because I can't sit still. Because this is what I do when I'm anxious. And I've been anxious <laughs> for the past three weeks. My anxiety has been on a million. So Abby's probably looking at me right now as we record this episode. Like, why is this girl moving so much? And I just broke my necklace. No, moving thank around. Thank you for your transparency. <laughs> It's a vulnerable moment, like yeah. And I just got this necklace from my mom, but um, oh yeah, anxiety in action right now. Okay. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So um, going back to your human sexuality class. <laughs> so I I love that you that they kind of threw you in to these classes where you had one thought of how they were gonna go go and then had a whole different experience and I think that's super important for anybody that might be considering becoming a therapist to hear about those different experiences because like I said earlier I thought this was all x's and o's I like you're blowing my mind as to how the program was set up so shout out to Nova I don't know if it's just special to that to, to Nova in their program or if this is something um or these are experiences that a lot of other people are having in these programs so um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about, we're going to move away from mental health for just a second because Abby has been doing her thing. She's got her bachelor's in psychology. She just graduated from Nova. Um, she went to school and started grad school in the middle of a global pandemic. But on top of that, this girl also has a business. Yeah. so she is like a hustler in every aspect and I just really admire you from afar oh thank you <laughs> um but why don't you tell us about your business and kind of how you decided to start that okay so um so I have I guess we're talking about my clothing brand yes <laughs> um so I do I started off in 2017 um it was just swimsuits at first and just like very cute swimsuits. We live in Florida. So like, you're always going to need a bathing suit. Yes. And I didn't have a job. I was in undergrad. So I was like, Oh, let me just sell bathing suits. Like, let me, I have vendors. I might as well use them. So I would hit up my manufacturers, have them send me like swimsuits and sell them and then flip it back. And then I kept doing that. And then I think it was my, 23rd birthday I because I launched my business on my 21st and then on my 23rd I made my first shirt mm -hmm. which is this oh it's overly washed because I wear it all the time but it was this design on a shirt Ooh. oh that's gorgeous because I was going through something mentally and I was like I need to water myself oh my and gosh I made this I had my friend design this design for me and I dropped shirts in pink and black. Are you still dropping? Are you still have that shirt? Yeah. Okay. I need to put in an order. Yes. Yes, ma'am. And <laughs> <Drop> then the <laughs> <link>. <laughs> we'll do. And so then after that, I made my first hoodie design and I actually don't have that one around me right now, but I made my first hoodie design and it was a girl with flowers in here to match my tattoo that I have on the back of my neck. I don't know if you can see oh, it. Lean to the other way, other side, other way. 
Okay, I can't see. <laughs> she can't see. It's okay. But it's a girl with like just flowers in her hair. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that represents me. I'm obsessed with flowers. I love growing. Like that's just me. Like that's yeah. what I want to embody. I want to embody that my hair is flowers and that my life is flowers and I'm just blossoming and growing. Yeah. What's your favorite flower? As- oh my god, I like yellow roses a lot, mm-hmm. but I also really like lilies. Oh, very cool. And then the shirt you're wearing is also your shirt. Okay, Broward Baby. Shout out to Broward. Yeah, this is less (laughs) mental health, more cultural representation. Um, I got a lot of things that just say Broward County on it. (laughs) I just need you to know that I'm a Broward baby. Yes, that's very Broward (laughs) of you to have everything Broward. I love it. So what's the name of your business? It's Fum Jolie. And then does that, it sounds like Creole to me, but is it Creole? It, it, it's, it's not written the way that most Asian people would probably write it, okay. but it's supposed to be like pretty woman, but in Creole. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's pretty. I love it. But the men, the men of Broward weren't appreciative of that. So why drop? I created a different Instagram space called F Jolie Creative. So I took out the thumb. So it's not woman anymore. It's just pretty. <laughs> really? And I do unisex stuff. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's fire. That is fire. Yeah. And that's where you find the Broward shirts, the graphic tees, the trucker hats. Like, yeah. That page is more censored to that, whereas Fum Jolie is more now the swimsuits. The dresses, the girly stuff. <laughs> I love it. So if you guys are listening, go ahead, look in the description. Well, first off, Abby, tell them where where our listeners can find you, where they can find the clothing, the swimsuits, all that good stuff. You can find me on Instagram at Call Me Shortcakes. Um, my mental health page is Elevate Me Allison. And then I have my two business pages, Bum Jolie, and then the other one is F. Jolie underscore creative. Yes. So make sure you guys go follow her on Instagram. If you didn't catch that, um, all the links to her pages will be in the description. So go ahead and scroll down. Go ahead and hit follow to all of those pages. Put in your orders. It's summertime. I'm pretty sure by the time you're listening to this, it's probably summertime and you're probably looking for a cute bathing suit. So go ahead, hit that link, place your order, get some cute stuff for yourself. Um, Yes. I'm about to go browsing after this, but um, Abby, I just wanted to say again, I know we just met not too long ago, but I'm super proud of you. Um, I think what you're doing is super important. I think the fact that more people that look like us are in this space, um, not just black women, but particularly, I think for us West Indians, like we really don't have a a ton of representation in this space. So what you're doing is, is super important and I hope you're proud of yourself because you're doing amazing, sweetie. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so before we wrap up, really quickly, um, I want to ask you one question. What is one thing that you would tell 12-year-old Abby? Ooh, 12-year-old Abby. Um... It's very cliche, but that everything is going to happen the way it should. Mm. I think that was super important because I really, I just didn't understand anything, you know? I was just moving throughout life with just so much hurt and so much, like, trauma. And it was like, I couldn't really see the light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. So everything's happening happening exactly how it should. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you again, Abby, for coming onto the pod. Um, Yeah, this was a great conversation. So um, Abby (laughs) is coming back on the pod. So keep an eye out. There's going to be another episode with Abby um, where we're going to talk about a little different topic. Um, But if you're listening, thank you for listening. Um, 
I have been seeing the amount of people that are listening to the podcast growing with literally every episode. Also seeing where the listeners are. Shout out to everybody in the Caribbean. Shout out to everybody in the UK. Shout out to people in New Zealand that are listening to my podcast. That's insane to me. Um, And shout out to everybody in America. Shout out to all the Black women, Black people, and anybody else that is listening to the podcast. I appreciate you. If you love this podcast, if you like this podcast, please leave a review, whether it be on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to it, and share it. So if you like an episode, please share it with your friends, share it with your family. Um, Yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody that's listening because this kind of blows my mind that the podcast is like, a lot of people are listening. It's it's, it's just crazy to me. But um, Abigail, I think it's like guests like you that come on and are really vulnerable about their journeys and about their own experiences that make this podcast really special. So thank you again. Appreciate you. Ashley, shout out to you. Oh, thank you. Okay, because <laughs> this is so inspirational. Like, I love this. I love this format. I love the vibe. Like, it's really yeah. been an experience. <laughs> Yay. Thank you, Abby. I appreciate it. Um, we will, we will stay in touch for sure. For sure. Um, to everybody that's listening, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Go ahead and listen to another podcast if you have time. Um, yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. No matter where you are in the world, I really appreciate your support. See you again on the next episode, but until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's Anxious BLK Girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal.